Praise him according to his great excellence. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's worship together. Stand up for the Lord. Amen. Let's worship together. My hope is built. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame.
have paid our ransom. Lord, we're here through and by your truth, through and by your grace, through your blood. Lord, we just ask that you would meet us here tonight as we long to build your kingdom. We long to seek you first. Uh, so Lord, come bring us what we need. Uh, we turn our hearts to you uh, to speak to us. Lord, we need your vision and your uh, direction. Uh, so meet us in that way tonight. Amen. Let's have the kids come up. You can be seated. Sing a kid's song together. Um. Matt, would you like to pray for the kids when we're finished? Awesome. We're going to sing This Little Light of Mine together. You guys ready? 
this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine Thank you, Lord, for these kids, and in the name of Jesus, we just speak a blessing over them. We pray that they would be uh, mighty and powerful for your kingdom, that they would receive the the vision um, of of this church, Lord, and uh, that they would go farther with it than than any of us have ever gone, Lord. We just uh, pray that you would be with them tonight, bless their time in class, and their teachers, uh, and their parents as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can stand up. We'll sing one more song together. Your grace is enough more than I need. At your word, I will believe. I wait for you. Draw near again. Let your spirit
How are we doing back there, Nate? Great. Isn't Nate great? <laughs> Good to have you all here. We do have an announcement, right, John? There's a white Corolla, white Toyota Corolla in the parking lot with their dome light on. Okay, you're good? All right. Good evening. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. We would love to be a part of your life. We'd love to be part of your family. And, uh, I don't want to call out the visitors, but we're just glad you're here tonight. Hope you, hope you feel welcome among us. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 13. Just kind of keep your thumb there. I'd like to pray before we begin our sermon time. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach. I just thank you for the way that you have, have blessed your word, that in it is a gold mine. So many treasures, Lord, in your word. I pray that tonight we would receive the treasure that you want us to receive from it, and that you would show yourself, Lord, through it. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Happy New Year. Thank you. Many of us, maybe most of us, know that the month of January is named after the Roman mythological god Janus. I think it's a he, Janus. The image of Janus the god, small g, is made up of two faces when you see a picture of Janus. Two faces. There's one face looking backward to the past. There's one face looking forward in time. Janus was considered by the Roman gods the keeper of the beginnings and the endings, of transitions, the keeper of the doorways. He was identified as being light, the keeper of time, the rising and the setting of the moon and the sun were because of Janus the god. 
he was identified as setting the sun and the moon. But our scripture today reveals God with a capital G, Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus the Christ, as we know him, is the beginning and the end. Jesus is now. He is right now. Jesus is here now. And he forever will be. World without end. Amen. He is the keeper of and the author of beginnings and endings. He is the doorway that we must enter. He is the keeper of time. And he knows with the Father concerning all times and all seasons. All things were made through him and for him. All things were created by him. This is our God. In him all things hold together. And he never changes. Praise God. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. This is not about Janice, this new year. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 13. To get the context of what's happening here, we'll start with verse 5. I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, so I'm just going to say Paul wrote these words. Hebrews chapter 13, starting with verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them key verse for us tonight is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this brings us to a new year. We all have questions in the beginning of a new year. I like new year. I like the fact that our calendars are kind of blank, and we get to look ahead, and we get to pray about what's happening this year, and We've already set some meetings. We've got some family vacations going on this year. We've got a lot of great things happening in our church. But the question remains, how should Christians feel and think about changes in the seasons or new years? What should we do about that? It's exciting. Well, let's use this scripture, Hebrews 13, 8, as our first memory verse of the year. I love it because it's easy. You probably already have it memorized. Let's do it together. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your first memory verse. Awesome. Well, I have three questions surrounding this verse for us tonight. First question is, in what sense is Jesus always the same? It's kind of a deeper theological question. In what sense is Jesus always the same? 
Second question I have is, what is significant about yesterday, today, and forever? I hope we can get to some of the bottom of that. Third question is, what is the application of this verse to our lives for a new year? And especially as we begin our study of Ephesians. I'm really excited about this study of Ephesians for our church. So a little bit of context as we get into question one. The book of Hebrews was written to Jews who were starting to follow Jesus. Now because of their faith, because of their faith, they were facing persecution. This created a lot of pressure and many were tempted to turn their backs on Jesus. So this book is written to encourage people, to encourage its readers to stand strong in their faith and to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So back to question number one, in what sense is Jesus always the same? Does it mean that Jesus can't respond with joy over your situation one day and then grieve over some situation the next day? Would you contradict the statement that Jesus is the same yesterday and today? I mean, we all change, we go through seasons. A good way to answer this question is to notice the one other place in the book of Hebrews where Jesus Christ is said to be the same. And it's a really important verse for our context tonight. It's Hebrews chapter 1, starting with verse 8. So go back to Hebrews chapter 1, starting with verse 8. We'll read through verse 12. We've got to take this slowly because this is, this is amazing what's happening here that Paul is writing to the Hebrews. Listen, listen to these words. Verse 8, Hebrews 1 verse 8. But about the Son... That is Jesus, he, God, says, your, that's Jesus, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Wait a minute, who's speaking here? Paul is starting to quote Psalm, the Psalms. Paul is going to quote Samuel. Paul is going to quote Chronicles. Paul is going to quote Deuteronomy, just in these few verses. This is a, a, a beautiful tapestry of Old Testament scriptures coming together to talk about the divinity of Jesus Christ. Let me repeat verse 8 slowly. But about the Son, Jesus, He, God, says, Your Jesus, throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. That is, Jesus was in the beginning at creation, laying the foundations. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. Jesus is the same yesterday, 
today and forever. We have to read the, the famous New Year's chapter, which is Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So go to the Old Testament, go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. This talks about the variety of ways that things happen in our lives, but that Jesus meets every need. This is beautiful. King Solomon writing this. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. I want to slow down there a second. That's a big verse right there. He has also set eternity into the human heart. This is a big deal. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that the people will fear him. I love that verse about eternity. God has put eternity into your heart. There's something about that philosophically, theologically, that God has implanted into every human heart this desire, this need, this want to think about eternity. It's, it's that when you, when you go to bed at night, and you're lying on your back and you're just looking up at the ceiling, unless you're a stomach sleeper. You're looking up at the ceiling and you start to wonder. I mean, I saw pictures from the James Webb Space Telescope, Space Telescope that is trying to tell me that the light that is entering the telescope is from 4.9 billion light years away. the light that we're seeing, it's just like, whoa, how far does it go? How can it even be that way? What's happening? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 through 14 says, he has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has put eternity into our hearts. Every time I think of eternity, I have this flashback to Y2K. Raise your hand if you remember Y2K. All right, the older people in the room. Y2K was amazing because 
we didn't know if the world was coming to an end or not. We were told that all the computers that had ever been invented, they all stopped working on December 31st, 1999, at midnight. All the computers are going to shut down. And so some of us were like, yeah, right, but we are like, maybe we should go get some food. So people were prepping, they were buying food, stocking up. And what's interesting about Y2K was everybody started to focus on where is this going to happen first? You know, it doesn't just all change at midnight all over the world. So all eyes started to focus on Sydney, Australia. Because Sydney, Australia was the first major city where I was going to turn midnight Y2K. So if Sydney, Australia would make, would make it, we were okay. If Sydney shut down, we're in big trouble. It's going to happen all over the globe. So Sydney, Australia was being watched. It was on TV. They started off with this fireworks program. And then after the fireworks were over, they emblazed one word on the Sydney Harbor Bridge. Go ahead and show the slide. That's it. That's what it looked like after the fireworks for about a week. And all the world looked at this word, eternity. In this weird script, now we enter the story of a man named Arthur Stace. Arthur Stace was born in 1885. He was from Sydney, Australia. He grew up in a horrible family. His parents were alcoholics. They left him on a doorstep. He and his two sisters, as they grew, they became teenage prostitutes. He watched over their brothel as they prostituted their bodies. This man had a hard time. Then World War I hits. He was too short for any kind of military action, so they made him a stretcher bearer. All he did in World War I was carry dead or sick Australian soldiers in and out of the war. He was an alcoholic. After the war, he had horrible PTSD after World War I. But throughout his time after the war, he started going to a church, a Baptist church in Sydney. And he got in interested in the church. And on November 14, 1932, Arthur Stace was inspired by a sermon, a single sermon. It was a sermon preached by evangelist John Ridley, and the name of the sermon was Echoes of Eternity. And it was based on this passage of Scripture from Ecclesiastes 3, but it was also based on Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. And I'll read that Scripture. The preacher was preaching, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him, also that is of a contrite and humble heart, because I revive the spirit of the humble, and I will revive the heart of the contrite ones. And John Ridley, the preacher, started to scream, Eternity! 
eternity. I wish that I could sound or shout that word to everyone in the streets of Sydney. You've got to face it. Where will you spend eternity? And those words from Arthur Ridley made Arthur Stace sit up and just like start crying immediately. He said, eternity, Arthur Stace said, eternity, the word went ringing through my brain. And suddenly I began crying and I felt a powerful call from the Lord to write the word eternity. Even though he was illiterate, he could barely write his own name. He had a piece of chalk in his jacket from a work job that he'd been working. And he stooped down on the sidewalk and he wrote in perfect script the word eternity. It came out smoothly. He said, I couldn't understand it. I didn't even know what I was spelling. But I wrote it on the sidewalk, eternity. Several mornings a week, after that experience with God, Arthur Stace woke up at 4 o'clock a.m. almost every morning, and he walked and prayed the streets of Sydney. And he would chalk the word eternity everywhere he went. So people would come into work, arriving into the city of Sydney, and they would see this word just in chalk all over the, the town. He never got in trouble because the police thought, well, the rain or the wind or you know, it never, never heard anything so much in chalk. They tried to arrest him a couple times, but he said, I have a higher power over me. You cannot arrest me. They, they let him alone. He did that for 35 years, and they estimate that he wrote the word eternity over half a million times in those 35 years, every morning in the streets of Sydney. So Sydney adopted him. And Sydney wanted the world to know Arthur Stace. The cool thing about that year was also the Olympics were held in Sydney, and they did the same thing on the bridge for all the visitors to see the word eternity. They dubbed him, they named him Mr. Eternity. You can Wikipedia him. It's a great story. There's, there's some documentaries about him on, on uh, YouTube. They're kind of old, but, but it, it's a great thing. Here's my point. Jesus Christ is eternity. Jesus Christ is what God puts in our hearts from Jesus. He is the one in our hearts. So the sameness of Jesus is the sameness of God. The unchangingness of Jesus is the unchangingness of God. His name is eternity, and he's in your heart. Put there by himself. Is that awesome? Eternity. So what is the significance about the three time periods? yesterday, today, and forever. Why does it matter that the Jesus Christ of today be the same as the Jesus Christ of yesterday, today, or forever? I want to try to put in one sentence each time period of why this is important. Yesterday. Yesterday. It is crucial that Jesus Christ be the same yesterday as he is today 
because yesterday is when Jesus Christ showed us in history what he is really like. That's why that's important. The early Christians struggled with the deity of Jesus because they knew that he had walked among them bodily. How could he be human and divine? But he was God. That's how, by nature. Even when incarnate, truly, not purely man like us, but remaining God on earth, even when he became flesh. He was still 100% God in the flesh. As God, he is one and the same Son of the Father. Although Jesus has many titles, he is the same in the carnation, and he's the same in the Holy Spirit forever. That's yesterday. Today, Today, it is crucial that Jesus Christ be the same today as he was yesterday because today is where we have fellowship with him and we relate to him as the person we know by reading about his life and work yesterday. So we work through today relating with Jesus Christ just as we did yesterday. Every day is new. Every day is awesome. We wake up. Thank you, Jesus for waking me up. I will live with you and for you today. Forever. It is crucial that Jesus Christ be the same tomorrow as he was yesterday and today because all of our hope for everlasting joy hangs ultimately on relating to him, not just his gifts. God has chosen that we know Jesus Christ and God in and through Christ by reading about him in scripture that records his life and work from yesterday. So whenever we read scripture, we're reading what happened yesterday, but it's not old news. It's new. God does not ordain that we know Jesus by skipping the historical, once for all self-revelation of the incarnation and substituting mystical avenues of knowing him now. But the Christ of today must be the same as Christ yesterday or we cannot know him today. We know him and we commune with him through the word of God about him. It's awesome. This transcends time. It's Jesus in you. It's Jesus with us. And what we know about him from yesterday enables us to know him personally right now by his Holy Spirit. Because right now is now. But what just happened 10 minutes ago, that was 10 minutes ago. But you know what? Jesus is the same right now. He is here with us. The Spirit takes the things of Christ and makes them real and personal and present and powerful and beautiful in our lives. This historical, factual Jesus, whom we've come to know and love and cherish and worship, is the Christ that we will increasingly know and enjoy forever and ever. You know, in the Greek, there's what's called a perfect tense. And it's like all three together, past, present, and future. It's the perfect tense. And every now and then, the word resurrection is used in the perfect tense, which means this. Are you ready for this? Jesus rose from the dead. He's rising right now. And he will rise forever. Is that awesome? He is eternally rising. It happened, but it's still happening. Jesus is still rising from the dead. 
There's no end. I want to give you another testimony of a man who for many years thought he was wise in his own sight. His name is Thomas Oden, and he is and was, he died a few years ago, but he was probably my favorite theologian, and here's why. He wrote a book called A Change of Heart, and it's a very honest confession of a brilliant man about his life as a Christian. He's published over 50 books, articles. He's a well-read theologian, especially in the Methodist church. He was born in 1931. He had great influence during the 60s. He was raised in Oklahoma. He grew up in a Methodist church. And from a very early time in his life, he confessed and professed Christian faith. He grew up with a passion for social justice. And describing his years as a student, he called himself a Marxist utopian dreamer. He says that he envisioned a world where all weapons would be banned, opening the way for a world government that would seek social justice, where peace and sanity would prevail. So he wanted to use his knowledge, his his brain power, to help in social justice. He described his relationship with the Bible as a, quote, filtering process which permitted it to speak to me only insofar as they could meet my conditions, my worldview, and my assumptions as a modern person. In college, he lost the capacity for heartfelt conversational prayer, he said. He didn't believe in prayer. After his college years, Odin went into the ministry to, what he says, use the church to elicit political change. Sound familiar? At this time, Odin was a, quote, movement theologian, continuously shifting from movement to movement toward whatever new idea seemed to be an acceptable modernization of Christianity. He thought he was the next up-and-coming, cool, new theology of, of Christianity. For me, Odin says, the theos in theology had become little more than a question mark. I could confidently discuss philosophy, psychology, and social change, but God made me uneasy. Resurrection and atonement were words I choked on. The gospel was not about an event of divine salvation, but about a human psychological experience of trust and freedom from anxiety, guilt, and boredom. The resurrection was not about something that actually happened, but it was about a community's memory of an unexplained event. Though I could not explain it to myself or others how Christianity could be built on an event that never happened. Then he makes this confession. He said, I never examined my own motives. The biblical words for this are egocentricity, arrogance, and moral blindness. I became entrapped with the desire for upward mobility in an academic environment. So here's Odin, a man with a brilliant mind, but he doesn't pray. And when he reads the Bible, he accepts only what fits his own view of the world, and he disregards the rest, and he filters everything else out. He's a professor of theology by this time, 
but God is little more than a question mark to him. And everything he writes, he tries to be new and cutting edge and cool. Because that's the way to upward mobility in the academic environment. The turn in his life began in 1970 when he was accepted as professor at Drew University. He met a Jewish scholar named Will Herberg, and they became very good friends, close enough friends for Herberg to speak truth into Odin. He said, if you are ever going to become a credible theologian, instead of a know-it-all pundit, you'd better restart your life on firmer ground. You are not a theologian except in name only, even if you are paid to be one. Speaks truth. So Thomas Oden started reading the early church fathers, as this man suggested. He discovered that instead of trying to say something new, innovative, and cutting edge, that their great aim was to just try to be faithful to Scripture. Odin's change of heart was sealed in 1971 when he had a dream. He saw these words written on his gravestone in the dream. The words he saw were, he made no new contribution to theology. And he said he woke up from the, the dream so relieved and refreshed and he started to think to himself, that's what I want to be. I want to be like the early church fathers. I want to be faithful to the scriptures. After that, Odin avoided creating any new, new doctrine for the church. By 1972, he had pledged to present nothing new or original in basic Christian teaching that would have his initials stamped on it as if it were his. He said, I've honored that pledge, and it's been deeply gratifying to me. In summary of his life, Thomas Oden says this, If my first 40 years were spent hungering for the meaning in life, the last 40 years have been spent being fed. In other words, Oden came back to the Bible, and he's been nourished by it ever since, till the day he died. I got to meet him a few times, and it was just an awesome fellowship we, we could have. It reminded me of Jesus when he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. This is why we're here. So what is the application of this verse to our lives in this year as we begin to study the book of Ephesians. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus promises that if you will open the scriptures with a humble heart and not try to find some cool new doctrine or some new way of living, Jesus said it's written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. If we will, as a church will open the scriptures with humility, you will hear God's voice and you will learn from him. Jesus says the outcome of this 
is that the person taught by God comes to me, he says. The person taught by God comes to me, to Jesus. In other words, the result of our hearing God's voice and learning from him is that we can come to greater faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got to abandon the kind of thinking that says, I already understand this. Why are we reading Ephesians? I've read it 20 times in my life. Why do I need to know about God's word? But if you come to the scriptures ready to listen, ready to learn, ready to grow, and to have this attitude of, I don't want to learn anything, quote, new. I want to learn something old. Newer doesn't mean truer. Sometimes we need to look at the old and know what's going on here. You know, if you look at John Wesley's ministry, the great Methodist movement that was started by him, he saw the Methodist movement as an attempt to live out the best patterns and practices of the early church. He saw the best of the past. He saw the first few centuries of the Christian witness to his time. And his vision was a radically different one than either the American evangelistic church or the Protestant liberalism. Wesley had a love for the early church because he believed it to be close to Jesus. Just for fun, I'm going to take Wesley's name out of what I just read. I'm going to, I'm going to put in Billy Henderson. I know that might sound sacrilegious to some people. But let's just add Billy Henderson here. If you look at Billy Henderson's ministry, he arguably saw that the Christian movement was an attempt to live out the best patterns and practices of the early church, to bring what he saw as the best of the past. In this case, the first few centuries of the Christian witness to the present. And in this case, Billy's vision was a radically different one than either the other American evangelistic churches or the Protestant liberalism, both too modern in their assumptions and practices. Billy Henderson had a love for the early church. Billy Henderson had a love for the book of Ephesians because he believed it to be close to Jesus. Not just chronologically, although that was important to him, but also in the way that the early Christians lived. So let's do something old. Let's do something ancient. Newer isn't truer. In fact, great movements of God start when we go back to this scripture. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Eternity is in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, for your lordship. I thank you that you've placed eternity into our hearts. I thank you for Arthur Stace. I thank you for Tom Oden. I thank you for Billy Henderson. I thank you for John Wesley. I thank you for the great teachers and leaders 
who can connect with your word and extract the ancient to speak into the modern world. A modern world that is headed to destruction. Jesus, I thank you for this word today, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we receive this communion tonight, I pray that you'd be glorified in it. Tom will lead us. Thank you, Bill. As he said, what a great introduction to communion. This same Jesus who was the same 2,000 years ago when he established his supper with his disciples is here tonight with us. Let's come to his table with thanksgiving and praise in our hearts. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you are the same yesterday and today and forever. We thank you that you are here, that you love us, that you willingly went to the cross, your body broken for us, your blood poured out for us. As we come to your table tonight, we pray that we would bless you and honor you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.